You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, the 4th of August. Absolutely glorious morning again here in the Northwest. Lots to look forward to, lots to look back on through the next half an hour or so. We'll be looking back on yesterday's Prix Rothschild in France. Mother Earth, another Group 1 win for her. She could be heading back there for the Prix Jacques Le Marois. We'll be looking ahead to the Group 1 Phoenix Stakes in Ireland at the weekend. Can Go Bears Go win his first Group 1 for trainer David Lochnan? He's pretty confident, as he'll tell me later in the programme. But we start with Tanawa, the brilliant filly who last year won the Prix de l'Opera in fine style before going on to win the Breeders' Cup turf and beating the boys. She's got an autumn agenda. She's been deliberately kept back for the second half of the season. She makes her eagerly awaited seasonal debut tomorrow in the Ballyroan Stakes at Leopardstown. I've been talking to her trainer Dermot Weld, I asked him how much he was looking forward to seeing his stable star out again. Yeah, we're very pleased, very, very happy with her. Um, the only thing is she's done herself extremely well during the summer and she's just carrying a little bit more than I'd like condition-wise for her first run. And just remind everybody, we've spoken about it on here before, but just remind everybody what the thinking was behind giving her a good, chunky break. Well, look, it worked very successfully for her last year when she won her Group 1s and the two Group 1s in France and then the Breeders' Cup turf. And I thought we kind of followed a similar pattern. But possibly because we've had a very, very dry, warm summer in Ireland and the ground's been pretty firm, I would have liked to have got a bit more work into her. But I'm happy with the filly mentally and physically. When you look at her now and compare her to how she looked a year ago, is there any difference? Oh, I suppose she's bigger, stronger in many ways. But uh, as I said, I just want to warn, I would like to have her a shade fitter than she is going into the race. Last year, I had her very forward, and um, she put up an excellent performance in Cork and won her group race well. She's in great form again this year, but possibly not quite as advanced uh, in her training. And you have entries everywhere. I notice you've got an entry as soon as the Yorkshire Oaks. Is that just speculative or is that a possibility? It's more speculative. It's more speculative. And sort of deeper into the season, has your mindset changed at all from when we last spoke? Not really. It's a long long road, if you know what I mean, all the way well into November. So um, we're hastening slowly. She's just not quite as forward this year as I had her last year. That's all I want to say. And, and just looking at the, the, the group of horses this year that she's likely to have to take on if she goes to Arcs and Breeders' Cups, how impressed have you been with them? I think they're an outstanding group of horses, you know what I mean? It's possibly even several years since we've actually had so many horses to compete at this highest level. Uh, we saw Adair brilliant in the King George. We saw St. Mark's Basilica very impressive in the Eclipse. A- any amount of other horses you could you could throw into the mix as well. Who has impressed you? Abaye the other day in, the, in uh, Goodwood. Who's who's impressed you the most? If you could if you could have one of them, which would it be? No, I wouldn't say there's one because if you leave one, you'll immediately <laughs> name another one and another one. You know what I mean? There's there, there, there's half a dozen serious Group One horses, Colson and Phillies, three-year-olds and four-year-olds of the highest caliber, as high as we've had for many years. 
So with that in mind, um, do you think if Tanar was going to win more what I would call serious group ones, arcs and breeders' cups and whatnot, she's going to have to race her game again? Oh, definitely. <clears throat> I've, I've no doubt about it. Well, it'll be great to have her back. Went into this season very close to the top of the Thoroughbred Racing commentary leaderboard, and we'll hear about that on, on Friday again from James. Jane Mangan was listening in to, to Dermot Weld there. Uh, Jane, what did you make of that? Dermot issuing a, a rather cautionary note about Tanawa's reappearance. Yes, I, I'm not surprised by that. I'm sure there's a race in October that is her main event. Uh, to have her 100% ripe in August was never, obviously, nobody was expecting that to happen. That said, Mr. Wells, looking at the Ballyrone Stakes at Leopardstown, you are £20 superior to everything, so Tarnawa can actually vastly underperform and still account for the likes of Lafayette, Tapan, Silence Please, and Hector Damaris. So I just looked back at, to refresh my mind, her season last year. She began her season last year on August 8th in the Give Thanks Stakes at Cork. That was her second time winning that race. She went then from August to September, where she won the Prix Vermai, beating Rabia. Then September to October, where she obviously dominated the Prix de l'Opera, beating Alpine Star and Audaria, and on to the Breeders' Cup in November, beating Magical. So I'd imagine something very identical to that is being mapped out, but instead of contesting the Prix de l'Opera, she's going to go for the main event. Well, Dermot wouldn't be drawn on exactly which races she was going to go for, but he's always talked about ARCs and Breeders' Cups and Japan Cups when, when asked the question before. Which autumn target do you think will suit her best, given this stellar opposition that appears to be around at the moment? I would imagine I, I would go back to France. You know, she she has many options open to her, but it worked last year. Um, she's effective on on an ease in the ground, and I don't. I I would go back to France personally with an eye on on the Arc and the Breeders' Cup as well. She's been very kindly trained, very meticulously handled with her with her program. She's never been over raced and I still feel we haven't seen the best of her. So there was a there was a there was a whisper maybe people were thinking last year as the arc transpired, was it a missed opportunity? Well we'll find out this year she's gonna get her chance. But uh, she was so good in the pre de l'opera people were thinking she might have even won the arc. She probably would have done, but that's that, and this is now, and this is a better group of horses, and Dermot well conceded it's the best group of three-year-olds potentially for, for many, many years. Would you would you share his view? I definitely I definitely think they're they're extremely good. Cold sand fillies. Um there's there's depth from the mile division to the mile and a half division this year that we haven't seen for quite a while. And Jane, while we're on the subject of the arc, David Menuisier has confirmed that Olivier Pellier has been booked to ride wonderful tonight in both her prep race and in the arc itself. It's it's a decent bit of forward planning. Yes, um, clever. Obviously, William Buick wouldn't be available because he'd have the options of Adair and Hurricane Lane come the arc. So four-time winning jockey Olivier Pellier, the guy who is the French ways, knows the French tracks like the back of his hand. He, he was... I'm sure many hats were thrown into the ring, but a very obvious choice and one that is completely understandable. Well, there's only one person who's won more arcs than Olivier Pellier who's knocking around out there, and that's a certain Frankie de Tori. Are you surprised that David Menuisier didn't didn't go for him? Um, again, 
Frankie probably wouldn't, I don't know, I, I'm purely speculating, but you want somebody who's going to commit to you and commit to riding her in her in her pre-race preparation. So if that's what Olivia Pelle offered, then it's very difficult to turn that down at this stage of the year with still so much racing to happen. From a very good four-year-old filly to a very good three-year-old filly, Mother Earth won yesterday's Group 1 pre-Rothschild at Deauville. The 1,000 Guineas winner from Newmarket and coming out of that golden Falmouth stakes on the July course last time. Slightly strange look to it, the race yesterday, Jane. What did you make of it? I thought it looked, uh, without insulting the race, and I'm not downgrading the race in any way, but they were so tightly bunched crossing the line, four of them, I thought it was a handicap. Um, the Mother Earth was well positioned, she got the rail, but ahead, a short head, a short head between herself, Segamira, Speak of the Devil, it was a blanket finish, which is unusual for Group 1. And uh, like Prima Bazio on the face of it, you would say, oh, she underperformed, but she wasn't beaten all that far. It was a mulling race. I'd say they didn't go over quick, um, but the winner, is, the winner is a very good filly. She's a Guineas winner. Aidan O'Brien indicated that she's likely to stick it a mile and interestingly suggested that she may even turn her back around for the pre-Jack Lamarwa in 12 days' time, which would be a big ask for her, but she's been very professional so far. Falmouth is working out extremely well and... Uh, She's a very worthy winner. She is. She could, of course, meet Palace Pier if she turns up in the pre-Jacques That would be a, a decent test. Yeah, she'd be meaningful opposition for him, but she'd again have to up her game to beat him. Uh, Alpine Star would be interesting to see if she goes there as well to see how that race shapes up because uh, it was a disappointment we didn't get to see him in Goodwood. A big race in Ireland this weekend is the Phoenix Stakes. It features Go Bears Go. His trainer is Dave Lochnan, who took him to Ireland last time to win the Railway Stakes, and he's been telling me how he's been getting on since. Yeah, he's done brilliantly. Um, he takes his racing very, very well. Um, ha- hasn't turned a hair. You know, feel like he's come on again. So, all systems go for Sunday. And were you in any way surprised by what he did at the Curry, You came out of Ascot and went into that race quite bullish, but he, he beat a very good horse of Fozzie Stacks really very easily. Um, no, I wasn't surprised, to be honest. No, he, he did exactly what we thought he was capable of doing. Um, that's what I thought he'd do going through Royal Ascot, and he did it on his side, and that's what we thought he'd do. Look, I suppose it was the obvious question mark of backing him up nine days later, um, but he felt well enough at home for it not to be a concern, and um, you know, he, he proved that on the day. So no, no, I wasn't surprised, to be honest. Just sort of take me back to when you first got this horse from the from the breeze-ups and when he first came to you, when you first clapped eyes on him. Did you immediately know that he was very, very good? Um, yeah, it was a fair idea. Um, Rob Sinaguera, who, who, who breeze him, told an awful lot of him and spoke very highly of him. Um, Joe O'Neill rides him every day, sat on him the first day and he fell in love with him there and then and I rode him a couple of days later and I thought, well, there was just something a bit different about him. Um, I think it was the way he walked was was the first thing that caught my eye. He just, it's in unison. You know, when he walks, every part of his body moves from his ear to his tail and it just like, it's this lovely rhythm. Um, he's real workmanlike and it's just, he just uses class for us. And I suppose when you've got a horse who's won twice over, over five furlongs, you think, well, I want them to be more than just raw pace I want them to keep progressing keep growing keep developing did you believe he was the sort of horse who had that sort of physical scope to be able to do that yeah we always felt he'd be better over six and when Ross rode him the first day in Ascot the first thing he, he said was he'd be better over six and um, we just knew we had so much early pace that we thought the Norfolk was the right option at the time um, 
to step up to six was no concern for Clarence Takura. He's just, he's such a great mind. He switches off in his races and he wastes no energy. So, you know, he has got loads of speed, but when you ask him to drop the bridle and then save some energy and conserve it, he would do that. So he's, um, he, he's a very easy horse to train in that sense. And this race on, on Sunday, yes, it, it looks an interesting race. You've got an unbeaten horse of, of Joe Lyons is in there, Beauty Inspire, and clearly you've got uh, Aidan and Joseph's representatives as well. Uh, but it, it doesn't look terrifying for a Group 1, I, I would suggest. No, it doesn't. Um, I can only compete at this. Um, I, I don't know. It's our first ever runner in a Group 1, and I'm, I'm going there quite confident. Um, which isn't something I thought I'd ever be in a position to say. Um, we've beaten a lot of them already. Um, obviously, Geraldine's horse is unbeaten, and, and so is Joseph's. But um, I, I see it was supposed to be good in this race, uh, and we'll be going pretty confident. Um, that there is a bit of rain around, which it's not going to be the be all and end all. We, we prefer the ground, but obviously, we've run soft ground previously. Um, Look, if he turns up the same horse or even slightly better, I, I think he'll take all the beating. Or something in the race is going to have to take a big step forward again, which is possible. Well, Dave Lockdown, there, trainer of Go Bears Go. I don't think we need to spend too long on this, Jane. It, it look, dare dare I say, it looks a pretty golden Group One opportunity for him. It potentially does. The ground for me will make it interesting. The railway stakes was run on quick, and I thought that inconvenienced Castle Star, the Marble Hill winner for Fuzzy. Back. There was a length and a half between himself and Go Bears Go in the railway stakes. I think if it's an, if there's an ease in the ground, Castle Star will get closer, and I wouldn't underestimate him. He's a very good horse. Um, the Anglesey Stakes winner of uh, Ger Lyons as well is a horse I wouldn't underestimate. Beauty Inspire. He beat Andreas Vasilius the last day, having over raced too keen. Was a little bit unprofessional in the run, but still, when he hit the line, I think he had plenty left. Uh, Gerlines has Dr. Zempton there as well. Ordinarily, he wouldn't run the two against each other, but we'll see uh, closer to the time what he decides to do. But Beauty Inspire, for me, is a lot of untapped potential. And then you have the filly, um, Velicidad, for Joseph O'Brien. The last filly to win the Phoenix was La Colina in 2011. There's actually a big write-up on Kevin Prendergast in today's Racing Post, which I found very interesting. But Velicidad was the early stud stakes winner. She's been indicated by her trainer that she's going to have a crack at the Cheveley Park. But what about if you can pick up Phoenix Stakes on the way? It'd be pretty good too, wouldn't it? Well, you can never go too many weeks in British racing without a, an argument about prize money, and it's reared its head again. Uh, syndicate manager Sam Hoskins, who runs Hot to Trot Racing in Kennet Valley Thoroughbreds, has announced that he's going to boycott, or his syndicate's going to boycott, three weekend meetings because, as he said to James Stevens in the Racing Post, uh, they're offering pathetic prize money despite big crowds. Uh, Sam's on the line now. What sparked your sparked your fury on, on this occasion? Well, it's, it's been simmering for quite a while, and, and obviously during... Uh, lockdown obviously prize money has been has been desperate um, but obviously early on it was there were there were very plausible reasons for it all um, but I think I mean over the over the winter and in the spring as things gradually became apparent that that actually some of the some race courses were were suffering more than others and the others were and, and the ones with, uh, with with models that relied heavily on media rights perhaps weren't doing too badly I think it, there became more and more talk about it Mark Herschel uh, raised his head about uh, about the media rights figures at ARC, um, and, and I'm certainly it's been something that we've all been very aware of, uh, keeping an eye on prize money to see how racecourses gradually return to, uh, 
normality, but we have to re- remember that normality was never good enough anyway, and actually media rights were were, were climbing and climbing uh, in years before that anyway. Um, and um, they were never really reflected. There was obviously that talk. They were going up and up. With ne- the minimum values were never uh, coming up with them. You can see it across the board in racing that there's um, that a lot of people are struggling. And I know I speak to a lot of trainers, uh, a lot of young trainers as well, perhaps not even trainers we have horses with, but a lot of depressed young trainers who really can't see the future. Um, they, can't, they can't make ends meet anyway. It's very tough financially. I know a, a major young trainer... Uh, I was speaking to a while ago and says literally, I mean, he cannot make money out of training fees alone. So anything, so his his only way of making money is basically through the prize money percentage. And obviously, the prize money percentage goes down and down. Um, it's it's impossible. And obviously, this reflects obviously it reflects on owners. But one could easily say, well, owners do it for the love, which totally get that. But this does jockeys, stable staff, and everything. And, and again, if the owners go out of the sport, that does affect all of those as well. So. Uh, I think we badly need change, um, and I think we need radical change, not a little bit here and there. I think we need prize money agreements um, with all race courses that they're committing a percentage of their media rights. For some reason, the fixture list media rights are owned by the race courses, and I completely disagree with that. And obviously, that's history why it happened. But if nothing does change, I think we really need to look into that to, um, and, and, and maybe try to try to challenge that i mean it's clear it's clear from conversations that have been had over the last few weeks that that the race courses and it, this is not just arc by the way I, and I, i'm very very conscious that that arc tend to, to get a bit of a kicking in these scenarios but but i think that they're, they're merely just a more sort of business-minded representation of race courses as a whole um the the race courses want more fixtures and they've they've got the horseman over a barrel they say well if you want more prize money we want more fixtures now how are you going to get more prize money without agreeing to more fixtures you're a member of the roa board yeah absolutely i think that's uh, that's a really interesting one i think that's one few areas of bargaining uh, we've got and yeah I, I i agree my personal view is there are enough fixtures there are enough races already um we i mean only look at i know what the bookmakers were saying last year during covid that actually the, the um the amount bet was uh a lot increase with the sort of spread out sort of Saturday fixtures and Sundays, etc. And it was really something that made me a silver lining. That kind of data is interesting. And for me, running uh, sort of five afternoon meetings uh, all on top of each other with Irish meetings thrown in on top, it's just not conducive to maximising betting turnover. Maybe the, the race courses are the ones that know where the crux point is and where levy, where increasing the levy and, uh, and gate revenues, where, where that sort of middle line um, is. Um, I don't know, but am I my view just from the betting perspective is it's not conducive to maximizing betting turnover and therefore levy uh if we if we can guarantee some prize money then we can start pushing pushing together the investment into british racing and, and get more owners coming back because there are a lot of owners going to france etc i was just speaking to an owner who's actually quite young compared to most owners last night and he said he had to be quite a few horses with a couple of trainers until a, a year or so ago and now they're all in france and that is that i mean i know i have a a leg or two in France myself and you can race out there uh, sort of in claiming level and pay your training fees which is I mean obviously something you could never think of achieving here and um, but we've got the best racing in the world and some of the best race courses um, and we want people to race here um, and that's the sadness I'd love, love to have a love to be racing horses here really that's just what <laughs> we're British racing we all love British racing but um, it's it's sad that um, that is under threat well, a frustrated Sam Hoskins there. It's not as though, Jane, we haven't been here before. And I realise this is a problem 
more specific to Britain than it is necessarily to Ireland. But it sounds as though direct action could be on the way again. The, the word boycott being being used. Yes, and I wonder will this inspire more uh, to follow his lead. I do not think it's an isolated case in the UK. Uh, listening to John Ferguson on your pod last week, indicating that you know Europe are basically the poor relations to North America and Australasia. There is a lot to be taken from what he said. Um, look, Sam has obviously decided to take this route, hoping that it will be the catalyst for action. I am not surprised, and I wouldn't be surprised if it inspired a movement. Right, onwards then. Leg two of the Racing League tomorrow night at Doncaster. My racing TV colleague Chris Dixon is one of the, the team managers for the for the Racing League. How did you start off last week, Chris? Started off well, lucky. Um, we we took the opening race on the card. Paul Midley's um, horse Saluti won the the first. It, it went a little bit downhill thereafter, but really good start. And and to be fair, probably the horse that we thought had the best chance of a winner on the night did go and win. So not a bad start. Sitting sort of fifth spot in the table after the the first week and. We were the first team to manage to have a runner as well. Um, given my job is really to liaise trainers and get the right horses in the right race, because I failed at the first attempt. All right, so you, you've learned a little bit from last week, and I know you're not going to let the grass grow under your feet. So how are you? How are you approaching Doncaster tomorrow? Do you think you've got your ducks in a row? Yeah, I think so. Again, we've we've ended up one race where we don't have a runner, and and that's one of the challenges. You're you're dealing um, with four different stables and different people's horses and for all that as the racing manager we're trying to put the best team out for our team you've got to acknowledge that it is someone else's horse and they have particular targets that they would like to aim them at along the way as well for, for personal reasons for all that the money on offering the racing league is very so again we sort of ended up without a runner in in one of the races we haven't ended up with a runner in the mile and a half race this time around but that's just how things have panned out i think the five that we have got going um are probably overall a stronger team than we had in the first week okay so who do you think's your your team captain this week if you like balantoy harbour in the opening five furlong race i think of of the horses that we've got in the team, right from the start, I felt that, that Paul's horses were the ones that were most likely to get us on the board. Everyone's got the horse that I thought, yes, we can get competitive, we can maybe win a race with that. With the mile and a half horses, I think other teams are stronger. Whereas in the sprint division, for which we have lent largely on Paul Midgley, because that's ultimately what he's got, um, I think that we do have bit of an edge particularly as Paul's horses have really hit form going into the racing league just a few weeks before the team started to, to hit good form so I think that's helped Paul certainly feels that for all that she's up to a mark of 85 he feels that this is a filly with black type potential and if that's right then she should be going well okay 542 first race of the racing league tomorrow Ballantoy Harbour number six for Paul Mulrennan and Paul Midgley and are you enjoying it Chris are you enjoying being the the team manager uh, yeah, it provides challenges trying to liaise between four different stables and you get the odd situation where you've got two people wanting to run their horse and you decide which one's got the best chance and equally there's others where you're trying to get someone to run something um, because they've got other options. So it, it's not entirely straightforward but it, it's been quite interesting and 
you know, it's an interesting concept. Whether or not it works long term, we will wait and see. I know it's met with some negative press along the way, but at the end of the day, I see it as, as the prize money and it's a concept that can be improved upon if it's given the chance longer term, hopefully. Chris Dixon there looking forward to the second leg of the six-leg racing league. He, with his brother Martin, is the racing manager to Team Arena, who are made up of trainers Michael Appleby, Michael Dodds, Paul Midgley and Dave O'Mara, and have jockeys Danny Tato, Cam Hardy and Paul Mulrennan at their disposal. That's Doncaster tomorrow night. Looking further ahead, British Champions Day, back to its original prize money levels after COVID hit it badly last year. Crowd coming back. Entries announced yesterday. I've been talking to the head of marketing, Greg Taylor. It's incredibly important, to, Nick, because we're back to the usual entry stage this year for Kip Kerbury's Champions Day, um, and you know we're obviously delighted to be looking forward to returning to, to full crowds on the day, but also to seeing, as you say, the best horses and jockeys from across the world performing on that stage um, and you know, due to the generous sponsorship of Kipco we've been able to return total prize money to the £4 million mark uh, where we were ahead of the pandemic which is really positive news and I think that's had an incredibly positive impact on the entries we've received today as you said you know we're quite a way out but um, you know I think it's, it's good to have, have the horses lined up and the, the real star quality that we've seen entered at this stage um, so you know, at the initial entry stage, we've had the winners of 90 Group 1s, 16 European Classics entered for those five group races across the card. And topping the bill is, is the Kipco Champion Stakes, which this year will be run as the richest race in Britain with a purse of £1.2 million on offer. You've had support from John Gosden and William Haggis and Asheen Murphy, as, as you might expect. When you scan those entries, is there anything that's particularly pleased you in terms of international representation? What, when you look at that, what, what, what do you look at as the key headlines? I think just the real strength and depth to, to, to the key races, Nick. Um, you know, the fact that in the Kipco Champion Stakes, you have a Dave who's, you know, been a star performer across the globe. He's attempting back-to-back victories in that race. There's the horse who beat him in the Coral Eclipse, St. Mark's Basilica, Mishrif, Lord North, Adayar, Love, Tanawa, who ended last year on such a high with victory at the Breeders' Cup. And, you know, we'll see how she goes when she reappears on Thursday. Um, And also a timely entry for the the Kipco Champion Stakes in in the shape of this afternoon's pre-Rothschild winner, Mother Earth. So, just such star quality currently entered for that race and the same goes for the QE2 as well I think the the clash there of the the seasoned performers Palace Pier the Revenant who won the race last year but then also the rising stars you know the three-year-olds with Baid and alcohol free and you know the formers obviously got to continue improving on the on the back of on the back of last week's Goodwood Group 3 success but he's clearly going the right way um, and you know he ended up favourite for this race with a number of bookmakers on the back of that success and an alcohol free as well who, who actually holds she's got dual entries for the day she's entered in the qe2 and also the kipco british champion sprint greg i just wanted to get a, an idea of you of the feel of the day generally it's something it's a race day that's very much had its own identity and it's been quite distinct from the normal summer festivals in the past is there is there anything you're particularly driving at this year as we emerge from the pandemic I think it's got a, a really unique feel as, as the day. Um, you know, we, we try to put on some some extra surprise and delight elements. We we've had a uh, you know tended to have a fairly young crowd on the day. We've done a special student offer, um, and I think we're looking to gradually rebuild back from last year and, and and see how the day can look. I mean, obviously, absolutely 
paramount for us this year is the fact that it's the 10th anniversary of Kipco British Champions Day, and we really want to mark the you know the 10-year involvement of Kipco, the 10 years of excellent racing and results on that day, um, making sure that we mark that, and you know the fact that we've had such great entries. Hopefully, that will you know resonate on on, on the track, and we'll have some more great racing. Um, and then you know it's obviously very much it's very much within our interest to, to build back to a full crowd and we and we can't wait after last year to see a full crowd back at Ascot in October for, for Kipco British Champions Day. Greg Taylor there, my thanks to him and to all my other guests today. Jane Mangan is still with me as we round off the programme. A few bits and pieces before I ask you for a tip, Jane. First of all, those uh, Champions Day entries, it's a, it's a fair way off, all the horses you'd expect, lovely prize money, etc. Uh, the one name that keeps striking me is is Baid uh, who who appears to have the QE2 as his as his primary target later in the autumn um how good do you believe he is i am i am being conservative because i was burnt by alazi at the beginning of the year and how effortless his early season triumphs were but everything in my gut tells me this horse is a group 1 horse the times suggest if he was flattered, but he wasn't overextended, so you cannot take times literally. Uh, I, I think he's he's serious horse, and I wouldn't be surprised if he won a Group One in the autumn. And just diverting our attention to the to the breeding world, an opportunity for for breeders to have a crack at a son of Frankel with with logician staying in in Britain now. He's been retired to Shade Oak Stud. Yes, uh, Peter and Emma Hockenbow have acquired him for their to, to join Dartmouth, Telescope, Scorpion and Recharge at their stud. Look, Logician was an awesome winner of the St. Ledger and of the Vulture during his three-year-old year. I thought through that three and four, when he turned into his four-year-old season when they kept him in training that he was the most meaningful opposition to uh, his stable mate and Abel for the arc. But obviously things didn't work out. He got extremely sick I think peritonitis and he was never the same horse when he came back but anybody with a memory and uh, a bit of judgment will have known that he was an extremely talented three-year-old he's by Frankel he's very well bred from a Judmont family so I'd imagine UK breeders are extremely excited about that prospect of him standing in the UK and too uh, pleased to have him and Jane you've got a tip for me for today Yes, we're going to the West of Ireland. We're going to the 217 race. And before we give the actual tip, your eye will be drawn to Aurora Princess, the filly fresh from her two-year-old win last week, contesting now the three-year-old handicap, of course. She was the filly who ran at Galway. But my tip is Miss Myers for Michael Grassick and Billy Lee. She's in very smart form at the Curl over 10 furlongs. And I hope she can translate that to the much tighter track in the west of Ireland. Jane, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We'll see you once again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, August the 4th. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.